Hello, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to Magnify, a podcast dedicated to equipping Christians with biblical truths through the lens of apologetics so that we might magnify Jesus Christ in our daily lives by making him known to the world. I'm your host, Justin Begley, and I'm so grateful that you decided to join in with us today as we discuss the problem of evil. And if you like this podcast, make sure that you go and subscribe and leave a five-star review so that others can see this podcast and listen too. I'm sure many of you have been tracking the recent events in Afghanistan with the United States pulling all of its troops out of the country. And I'm sure that if you've been tracking this, uh, you've probably heard of the dozens of people, both American soldiers and Afghan civilians, uh, that have been killed because of a terrorist attack that happened by the airport uh, just a couple uh, days ago. And, and, uh, and also, you, you may have seen civilians trying to flee uh, uh, via the airport in the city of Kabul um, from Taliban control, even clinging to moving aircraft to try to break free. We're seeing a lot of this uh, tragic death and suffering in Afghanistan, and we're also seeing uh, the immense fear in Afghan uh, citizens, as I said, some of whom are literally trying to jump onto and cling to the outside of moving airplanes just to escape what they know will be an oppressive rule of the Taliban. Um, we've also seen reports of the Taliban apparently going door-to-door -door in search of Christians, checking phones to see if people have downloaded Bible apps, uh, likely with the intent to kill our brothers and sisters in Christ for their faith. It's a really tragic situation over in Afghanistan right now, and it's almost even unfathomable to think about uh, something so horrific happening. And maybe you've also seen some of the reports uh, that came out of New Orleans and some of the Gulf Coast cities this past week, um, some of the reports that resulted from Hurricane Ida. So far, according to the Washington, po Washington Post, seven people have actually died from the storm and hundreds of thousands and maybe even millions of people are without power in the midst of a brutally hot summer. Flooding has left people trapped in their homes, uh, it seems, or even on their roofs, kind of eliciting imagery from Hurricane Katrina that happened over a decade ago. And still some others have had their homes completely damaged or destroyed. Well, it seems like whether you look at home or look abroad, we see so much suffering. We just went through a, uh, more than a year of watching millions of people die from COVID-19 and, and, and with the Delta variant kind of continuing to spread, it still hasn't ended. So why is so much suffering allowed to occur? This is a really important question because at some point, whether now or in the future, we're all going to either experience suffering or see other people suffering. It's one of those unfortunate facts of life in this broken world. And as Christians, we might be led to ask, why does God allow so much suffering? Now, we pretty much all understand that evil and suffering exist uh, because of our free choice to sin and defy our purpose 
uh, what we're made for, namely to live in communion with God. And doing that has broken this world. That's why in Genesis, when Adam and Eve, uh, in their pride, sin against the Lord by eating that forbidden fruit and, and, and believing the lies of, of the enemy, that's why that, that whole situation is called the fall, because people literally fell from the grace of God, and, and, and as a result, the entire world became broken. So people are sinners by birth and also by choice, and that keeps us separate from God. So that's why there's so much evil and, and, and suffering in this world. But that's a slightly different question, right? That's the why does it exist? But there's another question that, that, as I said, is slightly different. The question is like, if God is truly a good and benevolent God, as the Bible says that he is, then why does he allow so much evil and suffering to go on in this world? And that's a valid question. It's one that every worldview, every religion, not just the Christian faith, has to provide a coherent answer for. It's easy as uh, someone like me who studies apologetics to get kind of entrenched in the intellectual side of suffering. And while that's you know still an important thing, since a lot of atheists will still try to argue that evil and suffering imply that God does not exist, it leaves room sometimes for me especially to fail to recognize the emotional side of this question, which is also important and probably more important. People who ask the question, how can a good God allow so much evil and suffering, are often not doing this to argue that a good God cannot exist. Some do. Some atheists will, will use this line of thought, but the majority of people, I would say, that, that uh, bring this question up aren't doing it for that reason. But instead, they're kind of crying out for help in the midst of their anguish and their depression and their panic that is a result of evil that has been done against them. And as Christians, we, as Christians who have the hope of Christ in us, we have to rise up and meet the needs of those people who are making those, those cries for help. C.S. Lewis in his book, The Problem of Pain, says that when pain is to be born, a little courage helps more than much knowledge, a little human sympathy more than much courage, and the least tincture of the love of God more than all. This is the heart posture that we should take as Christians in the midst of people suffering. When, when We can certainly handle the problem of evil intellectually and philosophically, but more than that, we ought to put Christ on display and show the love of God to the uttermost to people in their suffering. Before we discuss that a little further and a little more in depth, I want to just quickly uh, go back to a, a little bit of a conversation we had in a previous episode um, in our last series, In Defense of Christianity, where we discussed the problem of morality. And I want to look at the problem of evil from the intellectual end. Now, many atheists have argued that God does not exist if evil exists. The argument goes something like this. If God is all-powerful and all-loving, and if evil exists then an all-powerful and all-loving God could not possibly exist because an all-powerful God could stop evil from occurring and an all-loving God would stop evil from occurring. And therefore, such a God would never allow evil to occur if he exists. But is this a valid argument? Not really. If God might have a good reason 
to allow evil to occur, or you could say a morally sufficient reason, then it is possible that both God and evil exist. Keep in mind that this doesn't require that we know or understand God's reasons for allowing evil. It just requires that God has to have a reason, right? And as an, omnis- as an omniscient and on- omnipotent God, he would have such a reason. But there exists another argument as well against the existence of God that actually allows for this fact. The fact that God and evil can both exist on the grounds that God can have sufficient moral reasons for evil to occur. And this argument goes something like this. Even though it is possible that God has a, has a reason to allow the evil that we find in this world, it does not seem likely that there, is a, that there are good reasons for some of the evils that we see. This cannot be proven, but if there exist many cases in which it seems like there is no good reason for the existence of a particular type of evil, then there most probably is no good reason to allow such evils. And if it is true that it is most probable that there are no good reasons to allow these types of evils, then it is probable that God does not exist. So that's the argument. But the problem with this argument is that there is really no basis for believing that there are no good reasons for God to allow certain evils to occur or to exist. Just because it's difficult to find or even conceptualize a reason for the existence of certain types of evils, that doesn't mean that God doesn't have a reason, a good reason. If he is truly omniscient and omnipotent and all-loving and perfectly holy and perfectly just, then as the author of history who transcends time and occupies eternity past, eternity present, and eternity future all simultaneously, his reasons for allowing any form of evil and suffering will be in accord with his sovereign plan for the world. God allows suffering to show us his glory. He allows suffering to make us more like Christ. He even allowed his own son to suffer so that we could be saved from a sin debt that we could never repay on our own. So it's evident that God does have morally sufficient reasons, good reasons, for why he allows evil to occur. Now for us, God's purposes for allowing suffering and evil might be kind of abstract, as in we don't really get the specific reason for why, for instance, people in Afghanistan are dying or why people in New Orleans are suffering. But just because we can't think of a good reason for why this might occur doesn't mean that God has no good reasons uh, in and of himself. In fact, to say such a thing shows an underlying belief that God is not much smarter than we are. But God, of course, is infinitely smarter than, than we are, and so he must have Uh, he most probably has sufficient moral reasons as to why certain evils occur, even if we can't think of what those reasons may be. Consider the story of the death of Lazarus in John chapter 11. Lazarus, a friend of Jesus, who most likely was kind of in the prime of his life um, and, 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 and doing really well, and the text even says that he was loved by Jesus, he became really sick. Well, his sisters, Mary and Martha, sent to Jesus to inform him of their brother's illness. And when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. So right off the bat, Jesus is actually giving a reason for Lazarus' suffering. He's sick, and Jesus says, You're sick. He's not saying this to them. He's really more saying it to the disciples. You're sick uh, so that 
the glory of God can be put on display. You're sick so that the Son of God may be glorified through your sickness. And what Jesus did next, so it seems, kind of baffled Mary and Martha. Um, We'll see this later in the text. But after getting the message uh, that Lazarus was ill, Jesus had him and his disciples just stay in place for two days. He didn't uh, run off to help La- to, to help Lazarus and to help um, Mary and Martha um, make their brother well again as, as they had requested. No, instead, Jesus stayed in place with his disciples. When he finally decided to head towards Judea where Lazarus, Mary, and Martha were, Jesus told them that his disciples that Lazarus uh, had actually died. But what he said next is really interesting. Jesus said to them, for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there, as in to help Lazarus, uh, Lazarus be healed of his sickness. He says this because he wants the disciples to believe. So he says, for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there, so that you may believe. What a statement, right? Jesus is making it clear to his disciples what the purpose of Lazarus' suffering is, so that they might believe. Now, before this, Jesus has kind of been on his ministry and had performed six signs or miracles that point to his authority from God as Messiah. The first was turning the water into wine. Then he healed the royal official's son without even touching him or being in the same geographical location as the boy. Then he healed the disabled man by the, by the Bethesda pool. Then he fed the 5,000. And then he healed the man that was born blind. All of these miracles had a purpose. They pointed to the God-given authority of Jesus and was used to teach his disciples and other followers about God and his arriving kingdom. And Jesus is about to, when he goes to see Lazarus, perform a seventh sign to do likewise. And when Jesus got uh, to Judea, he was informed that Lazarus had been in the tomb actually for four days, which means that in that climate, because uh, I of the climate of that region, the body would have already started to decay because it was really hot there and you know they were in kind of a, a, a rock-based tomb and, and all that, so the body would have started to actually decay. And the text says that many Jews from Bethany had come to console Mary and Martha for their brother's passing. Now, to them, it, it probably seemed that Lazarus' suffering and death was purposeless. And they, you can actually see this later in the text, and we'll get there in a second. But here was a man in the prime of his life that was overtaken by a fatal illness. And for what purpose other than just random bad luck, as atheists might ascribe to his situation? When Jesus got there, Mary or Martha came running up to Jesus, upset that he had uh, not come sooner when she messaged him. You see, she had faith that Jesus could heal her sick brother, but her faith was limited by what she could understand. We see this in, in the text. Jesus said to Martha, your brother will rise again. That's pretty clear, right? Well, at least to us it is because we kind of know what, what, what's going to happen and we kind of have a, you know, a hindsight view. But Martha responded to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection of the last day. But Martha, again, had a faith that was limited by her own understanding of God and the world. She knew that her brother would one day be resurrected at the end of the age, and she was correct. But she couldn't possibly imagine what Jesus was about to do. And so Jesus, out of his perfect love and perfect compassion for us, helps her understand that uh, what, what his purposes are. And he says to her, I am the resurrection 
and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? In our pain and suffering, when we see others in pain and suffering, as Christians, we ought to, to, to ask ourselves what Jesus asked Martha. Do we believe that Jesus is the resurrection and the life? That whoever believes in him, though we may die, will live? Do we actually believe that? Whether we believe it or not will impact the way that we view evil and suffering. If we don't believe Jesus' words here, then we will never understand how a good and loving God could allow evil and suffering because not believing Jesus' words here implies that we don't have a proper understanding of our ultimate hope, our destiny that we kind of talked about in the last episode. We ought to instead have the same response as Martha. Listen to what she says to Jesus after he asks her this. Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. When we believe that, then we will never lose trust or hope in our loving God who is working out all things for the good of the saints. But the story continues. After speaking with Martha, Jesus called for Mary, her her sister, who came out of her home to meet him. And she said to him uh, the same thing that her sister had said. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now, Jesus saw her weeping, and, and this is where I, I think that Christians listening, we really ought to start paying attention. I mentioned earlier the importance of the emotional side of the problem of evil. Well, when Jesus saw Mary weeping, he didn't go into this kind of philosophical explanation of why Lazarus had suffered and died. He didn't even say to Mary that God has good reasons for Lazarus' death, even though God certainly did. And even though Jesus knew all of those things, he, that's not what he, what he led with. That's not what he said. That's not what he did. Instead, Jesus identified with Mary's suffering. The text says that he was deeply moved in his spirit and that he was greatly troubled. He wept with her. I mean, he cried with her. You see what he's doing? Jesus, the most powerful person on the planet, the most knowledgeable person on the planet, took the time to be with Mary in the midst of her suffering and anguish, identified with her, and actually cried with her. This is what Christians should be doing in the world right now and whenever we see evil and suffering occurring. Yes, it's important to understand that the existence of evil and suffering doesn't disprove God's existence, but it is even more important to show uh, people that we will be with them in the midst of their suffering, just like Jesus was with Mary. This means rising up to help those who have lost their homes in New Orleans, kind of via sending money or traveling there to help them rebuild. This means mourning with and supporting the families of the soldiers who were killed in Afghanistan last week and for those who are still alive and yet terribly suffering there. It means praying for people who are suffering. It means encouraging them with the gospel. It means throwing off your former self and putting on Christ to show the love of Christ to other people. I've seen Christians over the past uh, week in the U.S. literally taking rescuing Americans and Afghans into their own hands by funding trips and flying passenger planes over to Kabul in Afghanistan to do the job of the American government who's refusing to do it at this point. 
I've seen minute I've seen ministries deploy missionaries and volunteers to New Orleans and other affected places to help start the rebuilding efforts and minister to those who have lost their loved ones and lost their homes and lost their livelihoods. It's an amazingly encouraging thing. It's such great encouragement in the midst of such tragedy and suffering. You see, Jesus is showing us how to be faithful and how to love others in the midst of their suffering. And I'm really encouraged by the Christians that are um, taking Jesus' example and living it out in in the midst of what's going on uh, in the Gulf Coast right now in the U.S. and in Afghanistan. But people still didn't understand why Lazarus had died, why this evil had occurred. Now, some of the Jews uh, that had followed Mary to Jesus said, See how he loved him? Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? You see, they didn't understand what God was doing in this moment. They saw this suffering of Lazarus as purposeless, as random, and and worse, they saw Jesus as someone who was unwilling to help Lazarus when he was sick. But in his masterful fashion, Jesus had them take him to the tomb. And when Jesus had the stone removed from the entrance, he prayed, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. Isn't this an interesting prayer by Jesus? Jesus is helping the crowd understand that him and the Father are connected in an intimate way, that the Father hears the prayers of the sons, and that even in the midst of this suffering, that that not only Jesus has shown up, but God the Father has also shown up in the midst of this suffering by hearing the Son, by being with Jesus in the midst of this and working through him in what Jesus is about to do. So Jesus then cries out, Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus walked out of that tomb and 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 showed everybody that Jesus is the Son of God, that Jesus is the Christ and all authority has been given to him over death and over life. The glory of God was put on display through the resurrection of Lazarus. You see, Jesus had a purpose. Jesus allowed Lazarus to suffer so that the glory of God would be put on display through this amazing miracle. It says later in the text that many of the Jews that had seen this actually came to believe in Jesus. If God had not allowed Lazarus to suffer and die, these people may never have come to know the Lord Jesus. They would be lost in darkness forever, eternally separated from God. But because God had allowed Lazarus to temporarily suffer and even die, people were able to see the amazing and wonderful glory of God and came to believe in Jesus as the Christ, the Son of the living God, and securing their salvation for all eternity. That's what God did for all those people who came to believe in Jesus in the midst of Lazarus' suffering. Lazarus' suffering had purpose, the purpose of showing the glory of God to people so that they could come and believe. Just like Jesus said to the disciples on the way on the way in, I'm glad that you are here with me so that you might believe. This story shows us that God has purpose in the midst of our suffering and that suffering that we see in this world is not meaningless. God is working through all of it for the good of those that love him and to to ultimately bring together his sovereign plan for his own purposes. So the existence of evil and the existence of God are not incompatible. 
But what this story also shows, too, that, that we need to pay attention to is that Christians are to be the ones that are there in the midst of people suffering, weeping with them, helping them get through their pain, and pointing them to Christ who identifies with their suffering because he also suffered. He suffered and died for us so that we might have life. This is the beauty of Christ and his gospel. So the problem of evil is not actually a problem to the Christian faith. It certainly is for other religions and worldviews, but for the religion of Christ, who identifies with our suffering and who calls us to lovingly be with those in the midst of suffering and who has a purpose for our suffering and who is always at work in the midst of our suffering, there is no actual problem of evil. Now for those of you who are listening, who are suffering right now, who are asking why God would allow such suffering to occur in your life, please know this, God works for the good of those who love him. Now, that doesn't mean that he will necessarily take away your suffering. He might, but that doesn't necessarily mean that he will. What it means is that God has a purpose for your suffering. He isn't just allowing this evil to occur to you because he doesn't care. He does care. He cares so much about you and loves you so much that he would allow this suffering to occur for your good. This may be hard to see, but I think of the Apostle Paul who deeply suffered throughout his life and yet understood that Christ was with him in his sufferings and that God had a purpose for it. And because God had a purpose for his suffering, he would help Paul actually persevere through it. And this is why Paul could say, I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. And if you live in relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, he will give you the strength to persevere through your suffering. And just like Jesus learned obedience by the things which he suffered, as as Hebrews 5 says, so we can also be made to look more like Jesus through our obedience and sanctification in the midst of our suffering. That's the hope that Christ gives us. Jesus says that in this world, we will have trouble. But he also says that we can take heart because Jesus has overcome the world.